Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 99 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Um, I'm full from yeah. dinner. I will say that. It was good. Uh, the new the weather outside is fantastic. The weather outside is amazing today. Yeah, uh, you know, Michigan has finally given us something other than winter and uh insanity um but so. you know be, be be warned like it is still march mother nature giveth mother nature taketh away oh yeah oh yeah i mean we have double digits she's <clears throat> done the other direction before in the same yes. week so yes yes i have seen 70 degrees and snowfall in the same day yeah. so yeah yeah <sighs> so there's that but there's that. for right this moment the sun is shining it is beautiful the birds are chirping i ran a game just yeah, recently yeah you did your last last game was your uh was last weekend was your D game yes 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 it, i think it went <coughs> for the most part as i wanted it to mm-hmm. which is good like i i will not say that the the plot progression and pacing felt good mm-hmm. as it moved through there were obviously things about it that didn't happen as cleanly as i'd like them to and mm-hmm, that gives mm-hmm. me something to pause and work on a little bit but other than that it, it's moving through that portion of the adventure as i'd like good good yeah. good, good 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 yeah it's it was it was fun it was enjoyable mm-hmm. as i got into it and mm-hmm. it was nice to be able to uh write out that adventure and see already the progression of where it's going and, and seeing where you guys want to take it yep so yep, that was absolutely. nice it's nice having clean narrative stories every yeah, once in a while yeah versus uh, like i'm sitting in between where are my players going and why are they going there <laughs> <laughs> i was actually thinking about your game a little bit earlier today mm-hmm. and how the orcs in your game are uh being a bunch of like just real jerks about a lot mm-hmm. of things oh yeah and, oh yeah um it's getting to the point where my character is going to have to put her foot down and uh uh, speak things in their language. Oh, excellent! A little excellent. bit, and, and 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 may need to be like, look, you all need to just stop being afraid of magic right now. Watch, I'm going to do a bunch of magic, and nothing bad is going to happen. <laughs> sure, sure, you're that gonna could, si- you're that gonna could work out. Watch it go. <laughs> that that could work out, or it could not, or it could not. Yeah, yeah. we'll see how that goes. We will see. Yes. Uh, so we actually we should have a big show tonight. We kind of do. We kind um, of do. So uh, one of the topics that that is very near and dear to your heart is yes. the the whole idea of the narrative flow. Yes. And, um, you yourself are extraordinarily like cinematic narrative um, style storyteller. Yeah. And even describing stuff as like with with camera movements, almost as if you were reading. A I've done that a few times, us. especially in Seven C. Um, and so uh, just the the whole idea of like throwing out your typical adventuring day of just yeah, which dungeon do you guys want to go in today? Mm-hmm. But like having you know having a real good story written out, and mm-hmm. how do you? But how then do you move people through that story? So that it is a compelling story with a start, a middle, and an end, mm-hmm. and also on the on the the episodic level, on yes. the on the the per session level. That's the hard part. Still, yeah. also have narrative flow that is start, beginning, and end. Yeah, that are like chapters of a book. Yeah, and keeping that all together. It is. It is hard. The the, the being narrative in your style is basically. Uh, akin to novelizing and mm-hmm. unfortunately a lot of uh, a lot of writers when they're writing adventures end up novelizing and railroading yep and that becomes a problem you still have to give agency and so you have to kind of wheel it back so when i'm talking about narrative flow um really uh what it is is you're focusing on the movement of events that lead from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. That's the simplest part about talking about flow. And we're going to get into some of the details of what that really means on an adventure to event, not adventure, adventure, but uh, episode or session to session moment. Sure. And sure. what that can mean. Um, so it's easy to break it down. One of the things that I thought was really neat was um, I found this quote from um, AJ Humpage, which was, Every story needs to be dynamic in this way. It needs to be smooth, seamless, and coherent. I love the word coherent in this. It makes yes. a lot of sense. Yes. This is what we need to know as story flow. But it shouldn't be confused with pace, because pace is speed at which the story moves. Flow, on the other hand, is how the story moves along. It's all about movement and how to draw the reader in. Mm-hmm. 
This is something we're going to focus on. We're not talking about how fast you need to tell your story. Right. We're talking right. about the movement of it through. So when I when when we, when I, when I get to a section in this, we're going to be talking a little bit about how um, uh, episode to episode, or how many episodes, or how many sessions this should take. Those are markers. They're not definitions. We're not saying mm-hmm. this should your adventure should only ever be four sessions long. That is not the truth in the least. Right, 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 right. We're right. kind of talking about the flow from from moment to moment in those sessions. Things can take a lot longer. You could your campaign could take months mm-hmm. to get through three acts. Mm-hmm. With only a few turning points because your players need to do other things. They have agency and that's the point. Yes. But we still need to make it a good story. Mm-hmm. So, moving into that, let's 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 really make it easy to kind of frame this up. And I, I I'm going to use movie pacing because it's something that pretty much most people know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think so, so everybody's pretty familiar with that. So when you're talking about a movie pace, standard movies, pretty much prior to 2015, we all agree with this because things started changing. Then, literally, writers started doing crazy things, and they did not follow the three acts. <laughs> um, so Act One is your intro which you're introducing the characters involved in it. Mm -hmm. You're setting the world up. You're Mm -hmm. showing what the setting is and you're creating the first decision point. Okay. They are deciding to be part of this thing, right? Whatever this thing is, they're deciding to be part of that. In act two, the subplot steps in. What is the underwriting thing that they're stepping into? Mm -hmm. Now, you can have a compassionate moment that then happens, whether it's love, whether it's compassion, whether it's connection themes, whatever. Sure. To kind of bond all the characters together. Yes. You then have your midpoint, which is literally the middle crest. It's where you're coming to the top of the hill and you've discovered the plot. You have the shift. The hero now either feels like a hero or is finding out that they're the victim. And you're now starting to you're now starting the downward slope toward the climax. It's that that moment where your hero sees how deep the rabbit hole goes and goes, okay, I've got to do something about this. Exactly. Yeah. And then they make their plan, mm-hmm. they execute said plan, and it fails, falls right on their face. Mm-hmm. You then step into Act Three, which is the second failure, mm-hmm. usually, you know, or some kind of stumbling, which then leads them to their final success against whatever the odds are, be it a big bad guy or whatever. Sure. You can pretty much use this and look at any movie and cut it right up into this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, there are other little segments and turning points in there, and they get defined differently, and that's really where uh, some people, if if you're into writing and you know of Joseph Campbell, you're going to know about Monomyth. And the 17 turning points. And this is literally just a way to take any story, any myth, any legend, any book, anything, and literally define all the turning points that could possibly exist and where they fit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And whether they fit in the beginning, the middle, the end, how they all go in there. And we're talking about everything from what we use, you know, what we use, which is the call to adventure, you know, as the opening kind of gambit all the way right out to your end. You know, and all the little steps that can happen in there. But they still follow the standard one, two, and three kind of act, but really they're not acts in this. We're talking about major turning points. Right. A lot of these are like just kind of variations on uh, uh, on the same sort of thing. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of ways to get your heroes involved in there. Like you said, there's the call to adventure. Um, there is, uh, you know, just, just getting, getting involved in things. The belly of the whale is what it's written down here. You correct. Know? Correct. So, there's there's a lot of ways of immersing your main characters mm-hmm. in into the plot that will then draw them in. Correct. Um, so it's never just as I mean it's some, sometimes it is, but often is not just as simple as hey, you guys want to go on an adventure? Yep. There, there's a villain needs to be fought, you know. Yep. But it can be that simple. It it definitely can be. And mm-hmm. uh, excuse me. Um, one of the things that Knox just brought out is uh, how does a narrative flow if your story is a great race? Um, Cannonball Run. There were three movies of that. They mm-hmm. weren't great, but they 100% met, met all of these things. You met all the characters at the beginning. Yep. They all bought into the race. Mm-hmm. They found out that the race was more than just the race that they had a challenge for. The midpoint is you see the heroes of said race, the people you've actually been following all along, not the supporting characters doing uh-huh. their things. There is always love and compassion in those stories. They always try and do something crafty and it fails. And then the ending is always the hard race to it. That yep. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter what the setting is. The setting in that case is the race. Yeah, 
Absolutely. The characters are sometimes the vehicles and the people at the same time. Sure. Nobody nobody slew dragons, but the race itself was the mm-hmm. was the adventure. You know? And in some cases you have a literal race at the end of stories. Uh-huh. You know, I can think of a few movies back in the eighties that did that. Whether it be a downhill snow race or a race in a yacht against the, you know, rich people. How many <laughs> movies are there in the Fast and the Furious franchise oh, right now? Lord have mercy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um Hildalgo, I think, was the other one that, that came in mind. That was the desert race. Uh, the yeah, I, I, I know of it, never yeah. saw it. Yeah. Um, again, same type of story. There was still a beginning, middle, and an end to that story, yeah. but it was a race through the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it, it really doesn't matter what the setting is so much as the movement as you move from piece to piece. Mm-hmm. So this begs us into the harder part of this and this is where things are going to start slowing down so we can get into it is what does this mean for your game <laughs> right right like okay great you're, you're telling me about all this narrative stuff but that is not i my characters in my story are not things under my control uh-huh your adventure is liter your adventurers your players are going to do things that are not within your power mm-hmm. you know you're going to present them things and that's going to get you know great but how do you know what session, like how quickly should I move through things? You know, is act one, two sessions long is act three, five sessions long. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. how do I find that? This is where different people venture a little differently. And I, I, I want to kind of walk you guys through the changes here. And what I mean by this acts are not a thing. They are not real don't don't try and say that an act is one session or even a a definable thing other than a concept yeah yeah. that holds a bunch of turning points yes so if you've got an idea that your characters need to get to know each other for a whole session great do that so start out your story, not even necessarily your session zero, but your actual first session with them getting to know each other somewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do that pretty quick. Maybe they've already written their background. So now you're like, well, great. What am I going to do in that first story if they already kind of know each other? Talk about your setting. Get them to know the world that they're in. Show, Give them a simple adventure that walks them through. Just yeah. a, a couple great, things. Great place for a milk run. Exactly. Yeah. Milk runs are a great way to point out your whole setting and walk through it in a couple things. Again, we're not talking that this is multiple sessions or it could be two sessions even. Sure. Again, we're talking about it as a portion of your adventure. Okay. Um, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, I mean, uh, Guy Slanders who does um, How to Be a Great GM, wonderful thing. There's a couple good videos that I could totally recommend. Literally paces it down to a one two one or a one two two methodology. And that mm-hmm. is you have one episode for your opening, your act one, if you will. Mm-hmm. You have two episodes or sessions for your middle and you have one for your climax. That's it. Simple as that. Or yeah. if things are going well, you have one for your opening, two for your middle and two for your finish. Because maybe your heroes get caught up in something before they have their final com- you know, climax. Maybe they get caught by the bad guy and have to break out or something. Yeah, or, sure. Or they, the bad guy gets away to get to his lair or something. Mm-hmm. So you always have stepping points that are in there that can do that. Are those sessions concurrent becomes up to you as the storyteller. Maybe your players do their first session and do their intro and stuff and get committed to the story, but they don't necessarily bite the opening plot and run toward that mid. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Let them run a little bit. And then when you hook them back, now you know your next session is going to be for this portion of the the plot, this part of this adventure. Mm -hmm. You then have your second part of your mid at some point, maybe right after it, even if you want to. And then... Are they preparing themselves for the finish? Sure. So maybe you need to throw in a few before the final turn to the climax. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people's sessions are three hours. Some of them are five. Some of them are longer. Your mileage may vary based upon your own table or even if you're playing at a convention. But when we're talking about adventures, we're talking about just moving through those turning points, not even calling them like hard acts. Sure. Knowing those turning points. And that's really where the the Campbell 17 can be a boon for you. Because although you have that beginning, middle, and finish, you may not know what to do in those areas, what turning points you need. You need a call to adventure. Your adventurers need to be brought together. But 
what else do you do to kind of keep things turning and interesting if your players are kind of, you know, in your own mind dragging their feet? Do they need, did they accept the call? Did they refuse that call? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's part of the turn. That could be part of the things. Do they need someone else to step in to to bring it up? Supernatural aid is a is a is easy turning point. Uh, Harry Potter did it perfectly. Oh, I was thinking Star Wars again. Yeah, you think about it. Star Wars actually like that the first Star Wars in uh, a, a New Hope. Yep. you know, episode yeah, let's four. Let's go there. Yeah, <laughs> is um is actually a great uh uh workshop in the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. You know, Very much so. You've got um Luke, and he's kind of got you know broad dreams for you know getting out there and you know going to great introduction, going to Toshi Station. I think it was mm-hmm. he wanted to go to. Yeah. Um, but. He didn't eh, want, but he's a moisture farmer, and eh. so he goes out. He meets um, Ben Kenobi, mm-hmm. um, and learns a little bit about what's actually out there. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, eh, "Yeah, but still, I don't know if I want to." And then comes home and finds his home destroyed. That's his. That's his turn to the middle. Yes. That, that is that is when he gets that call to adventure. He refuses the call at first, mm-hmm. and then. It gets taken away. That choice he, gets taken away from him. He crosses that first threshold <gasps> and, and receives supernatural aid. Then, in the in 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 the the form of Ben Kenobi, who mm-hmm. says, "It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Come with me. We're going to find a pilot. We're going to go make this right." Yep. And then there's the trials that follow right after that. Yep. You've got all of the things, and this it fits very comfortably. And I, I highly recommend if you are uncomfortable with writing stories. Or seeing the turns in plots and stuff, give yourself the chance to go and look at Monomyth. Just search it up, Monomyth, and look at the 17 points and how they break out. And grab a movie you really like, an adventure movie or 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 the like with a hero in it, and just start looking for these pieces, and you will see them fall into place. Mm-hmm. And it will help you understand that when your players are doing something you can include these little elements at their times, whether it's the beginning, the middle, or the end, and your players will recognize them subconsciously yep. and will buy into these bites. Yep. And that's really what pushes the narrative. Because, yeah, they could go fight a bunch of goblins in a dungeon. That doesn't help anything within your story necessarily. But including that perhaps as an atonement at the middle for one of the players like who had to take care of the goblin problem back home and he gets to the end and he realizes these are the same tribe of goblins that killed his family mm-hmm. and sitting in there is the doll from his sister <clears throat> on their pile of riches so now he's got motivation he yep. he atoned for that maybe while he's in there uh well while you guys are, are are in there fighting the goblins something else is going on to the town back uh, mm-hmm. back home and you're going to return to a smoking pile of rubble or at least maybe some wounded people who are saying a much bigger problem showed up while you're away yeah they hit you where you live so now you've gotta you've gotta respond to that you yeah. know likewise as you get closer to the finish maybe your players are are dillying a little bit or doing other things and somebody makes them you know well you know it you know it's time for you to go home night you know you're, you're done with the section we'll take care of it from here Mm-hmm. And your player's like, no, I, I got to see this through. No, 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 no. We're sending you back on guard duty. You're fine. You, you've done as much as you can do. You know, we're going to make you a sergeant. You, you don't have to go on patrols nearly as much. And so you send them back. So they're watching from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. But then someone comes to need them. So now you've got that hook back. Now they have to go rescue the people who foolishly sent them back to their desk, you know, for that desk job, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Um, And they have to get there in a hurry. So now you have a unique travel moment. Yeah. You know, so you can push all these things. And and as I'm saying these, they, they they should be highlighting things from adventures that you already are aware of, whether it's, you know, suddenly a pirate, you're like, well, how are we going to get there from here? We won't need a plane. Portal opens. <gasps> you know, suddenly yeah. now they're, they're moving right through that kind of a thing. And this is where your players feel these adventure hooks, these turns, if you will, so that they naturally feel like the progression as the story moves through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the very basis of a story, if you really want to get down to 
a fully dressed out story beginning to end. You're talking about a new life, a call to adventure. It makes it personally. There's a, <laughs> there's the big screw or the final test. And then the climax at the end, yep. you get those five things down within your story and your players will love it. Yes. Every single time. Yes. Absolutely. You throw in some other flavors on top of that for many of the other pieces as it drags along. Your players will feel like this is more epic than you could ever imagine. Yep. As long as they can see it, see it and feel it within the story, you're making the narrative flow. And and that's the thing too. I, I think that's the, the important thing to drive home is that there there's a lot of there's a lot of ways of of, of going about and doing these things. And I think there's there's a um, I think stories like like uh, song song of ice and fire, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Game of Thrones and such like that has really kind of. Uh, in, 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 to an extent, Tolkien as well, um, yeah, has uh, really kind of lit a fire under a lot of people to like feel like they need to overcomplicate things to have you know fifteen different factions all warring against each other and plots within plots within wheels within wheels mm-hmm. and you know so many moving plots. It, but that gets so confusing, honestly. It very much can be. And you can one hundred percent deliver the best game in the world just by following this simple. Um, um, outline mm-hmm. of, of of narrative flow. Mm-hmm. Hook your hook your, your your players. Put them into the in, into the story. You know, get, give them the conflict and hook them into that. Mm-hmm. Um, give them time in the middle to you know engage with the plot. You twist the plot. Hand them a failure mm-hmm. so that their 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 actions have consequences mm-hmm. and that the the. Uh, uh, antagonist, I will say, mm-hmm. not even big bad evil guy, because you don't need a big bad evil nope. guy, you know. Just that the antagonist has power, mm-hmm. you know, because if they defeat him easily, that's not a story, right? You know, so you need those failures in there. You need them to run their head up against a little of a wall a little bit, mm-hmm. and then move to the climax where they finally reassess and yeah. defeat the antagonist, yep, and come out victorious on the other side. If you can just move through those simple three acts, mm-hmm. but make all of your NPCs lifelike. Mm-hmm. Make all of your descriptions lively. Mm-hmm. Make, you know, give them some background music. Give them, you know, some really good NPC interactions and stuff like that. And make each one of those three steps the most rich, flavorful mm-hmm. storytelling experience. Mm-hmm. You don't need anything else. Yep. You don't need subplots. You don't need red herrings. You don't need any of that other flavor. Yep. Just... Make it the best three acts. And when we say that this is for, that this design is for your story, we're not even saying that this has to be for a campaign. Mm-hmm. You can do all of this in a single adventure. You, can. You, can, you You want to take this and basically distill it down to walking through something simple. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go take my players through a dungeon, literally start to finish on a dungeon, that's it. That's the whole adventure is one dungeon. They're going to, the story is very simple. I the 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 conflict is is that there is a uh, clerical order that has been uh, that needs to retrieve an artifact from a uh, from one of their crypts and the crypt has been uh, defiled in some way. They're not sure what's going on down there, but this local person can't do anything about it, and so he's hiring some adventurers to help him out. Sure, we just Tell, want you to go into it. Time. Go clean right. the crypt. Very simple. Go clean the clip crypt. So your first step into that. Set the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, get the get the players to know each other and set the setting. So your characters are all known adventurers, either from renowned or from recommendation or from something else, and they've all been brought together to this guy to work together to get this finished. Mm-hmm. They're all going to split the money evenly and and or be compensated equally in some way. Sure. There's your call to adventure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now you have to define where you're at. Well, it's a crypt. It's it's run by these clerics. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very, very old crypt, but it's usually exceptionally quiet because it is so old. And it's just this young uh, group of acolytes who are basically cleaners. That's for nothing better. And they do their traditions on it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So they're not... You know, priests by any means whatsoever. The old priests left some time ago, and they haven't gotten their new one yet, and so they're a little weary about sending things up. But they've heard things down in the crypt. Strange sounds and movements. Doors closing and opening that have never opened before. And they think that some of the crypts have been disturbed because there's a green ichor that has been flowing along the channels and the tile. 
Okay, so now okay, you've okay. set up a mystery. There's some sounds, there's some things, and there's a green ichor. Mm, now we're interested, mm-hmm. right? So now we start stepping into the end of the, the first act and into the second because your players are interested, they're already hooked, they're going to go take care of this because these uh, clerics need their assistance before anyone notices in town because it could cause a problem. Sure. And so, obviously we don't want the town or maybe the orphanage there getting sacked by whatever could possibly be in the script. So now we've got our turning point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're entering the belly of the whale. We're crossing the first threshold. And this is our movement into act two as we engage with this crypt correct so now they get into this crypt and they're starting to look around and they're finding not only the stuff from the clerics but maybe they find a child's shoe Uh uh-oh so there's something else going on down here maybe there's children down here as well Uh uh-oh so we have a turn. We have something that's making it personal. Right. Now that the, now we have concerns down here. We can't just kill everything, you know, and just walk our way through this dungeon because you know a, a crypt and make our way to the end of it because there might be something else going on here. So you were presented a thing in Act One. You find out that thing is slightly different in Act Two, and it causes you to step back and reassess. But they're too invested to just walk out the door and go ask the cleric why he's hiding children in the crypt. Right, but. Some, maybe they got hid down here. So now they have to get into this situation and they make it to their first major challenge. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a wraith or some kind of a relatively simple thing that's there holding a child hostage. Maybe the child is unconscious and it's it's laid across one of the uh, ritual stones looking like it's going to be some kind of... Uh, uh, a summoning, you know, act and the, you've got these spirits around it and a whole situation about to happen. So now you've got this challenge with this child that they have to save. Mm-hmm. And so they, they take care of the situation, you know, kill off all, you know, dispel all of the, the wraiths and finish it up and gather up the child only to find out that the child is crying as he wakes up saying, where's Marco? Oh no. There's another child. Why is it always Marco? It's always Marco. It's always Marco. So they they don't necessarily fail. They fail forward. Mm -hmm. They didn't finish off what they need. So now they get a little bit more truth. They find out what's really happening, that the children went down there and disturbed something, which probably set off a chain reaction of events. Now the spirits are awake and something's missing. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. So one of the children has it. So... Is he still down there? Well, of course, no one's come out. We know that from the clerics. This place has been sealed off, and they've been defending it. So none of the children have made it out. Who else is down here? So now this child you have to carry with you into the third act. Mm -hmm. So now we have the chance to, if the players are really enjoying the story and are like, oh gosh, what's going to happen next? You could open it up a little bit and give them an extra moment of finding the other child maybe not there. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the way that that child came in. Mm -hmm. You know, Marco has now been turned, you know, or maybe Marco was the green ichor problem, you know, and actually it was the whole thing was that the crypt was trying to defend itself from this new thing that was there Mm -hmm. defiling it. So Marco was the defiler, but now we're left with the problem of the crypt being awake and awakened. So you have to put the crypt back to sleep. So you for your final climactic moment with the crypt getting put back to sleep in some way and the key in the, them being able to return back to the cleric with the child and saying that everything has been taken care of. You've had a whole story, whole adventure. All written out in that format. And that's the idea behind this is that I'm giving turning points. I'm not even saying when the story should start or end. I'm just giving you the turn points. So that could very easily be a five or, or four or five session long adventure. Mm-hmm. Now, does that whole thing fit into another section of your campaign as its own turning point? Is that setting the setting? For your players sure or giving is that their call to adventure it may very well be and yeah. that's what you have to start moving forward with mm-hmm. is getting yourself into the mind frame of what section am i in mm-hmm. and that's where campaigns can come into flavor is what part of this grander adventure and am i keeping things in a pace that makes sense to migrate people through mm-hmm. it and that's what we're talking about when we talk about with narrative flow 
Uh, I really liked uh, uh, this other um, bit that you found uh, from Scott Ream, uh, the mm-hmm. angry GM. Yes. <laughs> uh, where he actually says, uh, it's not about acts. No. It's about the transitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, you write in three, uh, he says, you write three parts. The resolution, which is the confrontation of the major climax. Mm-hmm. The motivation, uh, which is what introdu- uh, induces the heroes to accept the quest. Mm-hmm. And the adventure itself, which is all the crap that makes up the actual adventure portion. No acts needed. Correct. Now, those are still kind of three acts. But again, it's not about how long those take. Correct. It's about where those transition points are. Maybe your your adventure is super quick. Maybe it's not. Mm-mm. Maybe the adventure goes on for a while. Um, my own personal game. Mm-hmm. I mean, this adventure has gone on for several, uh, you know, several sessions where you guys are fighting yeah. these bandits and such yeah. like that because you keep finding out the rabbit hole goes a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole adventure itself section has been like 10 games now, you know? Right. And it's a matter of making sure that every time you're turning in there, you're not turning the same turn. You're not hitting the same turn point. You're adding to that adventure. You're giving another flavor, another exposition within there. Yep. yep That's exactly. The key. And in keeping things a little fresh, um, mm-hmm. you know, handing them twists and turns that are... Um, you know, sometimes surprising, sometimes beneficial, sometimes detrimental, but sometimes life-threatening, you know. But, but they every fit time into the try. narrative flow. Yeah. You know, you never want to go and take a step back. I'm never going to recall them to adventure mm-hmm. until I'm done with the story. Yeah, they're they're hooked already. Yeah. They're hooked already. It's, you know, that's already happened. It's it's about it's about just handing them little twists to keep the adventure fresh and keep them on their toes without yanking the rug out from under them. Um and excuse me, mm-hmm. I'm just distracted by this gif that <laughs> that uh, knocks in the box put in uh, in the live chat of a woman wearing a uh, transitional dress. I love the the idea of that transitional clothing. Yes, one of those one of those stage stage uh, uh, sort of transitions mm-hmm. where like she takes off the belt and the dress unfolds, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's something completely different. Yes, knocks exactly like that. <laughs> exactly. Um. Now, you have your standard things of, you know, can your character, can your players break this? Sure. And the answer is yes. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. no. The whole point is, is that you ultimately tell them what's next. Mm-hmm. You give them what's next. You can slow things. You can speed things up. You can change any part at any time. They don't know. Only you know the failures of what you're writing. And it's never a failure. There's always just something that can be next. So maybe your players feel that the the whole scene that you just had, the whole uh, fight that you just had was meaningless because you ended it and they defeated the guy and they're like, okay, so what was in his bags? Well, just some gold and, and scrolls and stuff. And you're like, they're like, oh, well, crap. That kind of sucked. And so they're all like, yeah, I, I don't understand what the point of this adventure was. So like, okay, great. Keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. The next opening is the turn. Present them that when they walk out of the crypt, something else is there. Mm-hmm. Someone someone finds the useless thing that they got exceptionally important and presents them with X. And now they have something new. Look for the narrative turn that can make it better. Or maybe maybe the twist was that he didn't have anything on him. And there's a significant reason for that that'll be revealed mm-hmm. at this, at at this the turn. opening. Yeah, you don't always have to make your reveals at the end of your session. Mm-hmm. They can happen at the beginning. And I've found out, and I make this mistake all the time, that sometimes it is best to end the combat if it's coming to the end of your session and just call it right there and say, okay, next adventure we'll be picking up right here at the mm-hmm. end of this so that everyone starts with a fresh mind at the beginning of the next adventure and you can then do your exposition and turn. Yeah. And I yeah. try and squeeze it in at the end and that always feels bad every time I do it, but it's something that I fall into all the time because people are tired by the end of that. They've yeah. done all the math. Yeah. They're crazy, crazy at the end. Everybody's looking at their clocks and they're all like, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you have to remember that that is in itself its own point to pause your flow and late till the next episode Yep, to give it to him again. So the twist will happen. The yeah. twist will happen. It'll, 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 it'll happen. Don't, don't be, don't be impatient about it. Yeah. So if you're struggling with your turn points, maybe you've got uh, an adventure you're working on or something where you're like, okay, this is what's going on in my story. 
message us, put it in chat with us. Let us talk about your story a little bit and try and fit it into the three act design Mm -hmm. um, or the turning point design by Campbell and see if you can fit your turning points in there. See if you can write out in a line or two, your call to adventure and the motivations of your players Mm -hmm. and what's supposed to be going on in the next phase. And you can paint out the picture of your story. You will feel better looking at it that way, Mm -hmm. knowing that you have the confidence to say, I know my beginning, middle and end. I just need to get my players to each one of these turns. And then each time you can say, I can make this turn instead of this turn and make that adjustment. And I would love to see it. I would love to see that this is that that we are assisting our group groups and making better stories. Absolutely. That's what we want out of this. So we do have questions. We have some questions. Yeah. Good questions. We're running running really good on time. So we are, we are, so, Overwatch asked, "Have you ever had a game where the narrative flow really jived with your pl- jived with your players versus ones where it didn't? What was the key difference between the situations?" Uh, I think the narrative flow I've got going on right now in in my game, uh, I think is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I feel like I feel like I've hit a point where I I know myself and I know my players well enough that I can um write sessions that uh, accurately reflect the amount of time that, that we have allotted for our game mm-hmm. and go through a logical progression, have a, a start, a middle and an end. Um, so I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like for me, at least every, every game has been better than the last. And that's a, that's a really nice place to be. Um, versus ones where it really did not. Um, I think, uh, I think for me, like preparation has always been key, mm-hmm. you know, um, going in with a goal. I know, I know some storytellers really, uh, excel at like flying by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see Reddit threads all the time where they're like, guys, I didn't do any session prep for my last game and it was my best session ever. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm glad. Don't get me wrong. I'm always glad to hear that a DM had a good session Like mm-hmm. by all means. I'm, I'm glad people are having fun at the table. Um, but I don't feel like that's the big takeaway is don't do any prep. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the, the, the times where I have taken the time to account for uh, where the players might go, what contingencies I need to have in place. I've got NPC names. I've got descriptions of locations and mm-hmm. such like that ready to go um, so that I never had to trip over anything. I never had to go, um, 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 okay, it's, um, right. you know. I always had an answer was were my best games. Yeah. And I from a from a player's perspective, I will say this uh, before I get into some of mine. The best stories are ones where you remember them. Mm-hmm. I don't remember you ever saying um or stumbling on a, a name or something like that. That's not something I focus on. I focus on the turn moments of walking in and seeing an astrolobe in the middle of a crypt and going, Ooh, I wonder what that does. Yeah. How do we turn that thing on? Yeah. Right. You know, and then when we turn it on, what the hell did it just do? You know, those kinds of things. (laughs) Hearing, do we we just, did we just kill our Khajiit? (laughs) Um, Hearing from my players when you, that you guys found, uh, the under city of the, the underbelly of the gnome city to be really cool. Like the, the fact that the whole Gnome City actually had a 100% working steam engine underneath it effectively mm-hmm. pumping and running water and doing stuff within the city. And you guys just – and that the goblins were running it for them. Like, oh, that was such a great – because nobody – you only get so far with the stories of, oh, dude, I totally rolled a nat 20 and then I critted on this thing and I critted on that thing. Yeah. Those fight combats things happen on occasion, but you're not going to tell that story to a lot of people. Right, right, right. What you are going to talk about are scenarios, moments that built out of your story that involved the players. And that's where the narrative comes out. uh, Like one one of my players um, who's probably listening right now, uh, one of the biggest takeaways he had from a recent game was not fighting a dragon. In fact, specifically, it was not fighting a dragon. It was yeah. telling the dragon he hated him. Yeah. And that he was going to come back and kill him someday. Yep. yep. And lived to tell the tale. Like, the dragon was just like, okay, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, but that's become like a huge driving mm-hmm. goal for him. And that was a scene that he really like mm-hmm. took home with him. Like yep. he looked a dragon in the eye and told him, you know, told him exactly what he thought of him. Yep. And, and now there's, you know, that that's, that's the thing. It's never the combat. Yeah. You know? I, I loved defending a certain someone from a hail of arrows because he was being an idiot about showing force. <laughs> like, we don't need to do this. Dude, you're going to get, you know what? Just stay on the ground. Stay on the ground. I'm not even healing you. From, stay on the ground. From underneath the dog pile of warriors, you hear, <laughs> haven't any of you heard of a warning shot? <laughs> the answer is no. They've you know, not. but, but those are, yeah, but those are the, 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 the moments you remember. The, the funny in character moments, the moments that, that, um, you know, are character defining or, yeah. Um, turned a story in a certain way where you know you might have made a you might have made a role or you might have might not have even made a role mm-hmm. where you said something to someone and the DM went okay yeah let's go with that yeah and but it was always a turn of some kind yeah and those those are the parts you remember those are the little moments of narrative that kick into your head and engage them my uh the one that really got me was the the one that i wrote where you guys uh, in seventh c left uh the keep by cart got ambushed mm. and it was all a vision yep of what was going to happen because at that point i had locked in with that player what their power was and how strong it was yep. when yep. it mattered when mm. it really mattered and let all the other players realize how powerful it was as well and it really made the difference for that part of the story. It called everyone to that point of adventure and let you guys roll into it. And I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So what would you say the, the, the key differences between your, your, your sessions that worked and your sessions that didn't? Defining what was important. What was the motivation? Literally, just as you're describing here, like, what is the key motivation for my players? Mm-hmm. What is the key adventure point in it, and what was defined as the um, the call? What brought them to it, mm-hmm. so that I knew how it was going to be resolved, what their motivations were going in, and what little bit of adventure elements that I wanted in that. Yeah, I literally that whole thing I had written uh, with just th- I think I had three paragraphs written mm-hmm. for that whole adventure that whole second section of that adventure because i i knew what i wanted to make sure was important sure and it was sure. just the one villain she needed to know how dangerous that guy was mm-hmm. and so after that it was just wading into that danger and making sure that the rest of the players understood why they were listening yep what was important about them listening and and feeling her motivation behind it yeah and it worked yeah. it really worked i think i think that's it's it's great to um uh, set up a situation like Sh- Sean and I were actually talking um, and he, he brought up the idea of building situations, mm-hmm. not plots. Correct. Correct. Um, and so, you know, coming in with just like you said, three paragraphs written yep. down. That's it. You've got a situation mm-hmm. and then you just hand that to your characters and you let them move through it. Yeah. You let them explore it and react to it and move through it. And then you see where they end up on the other side of that. Mm hmm. And take it from there. And you know? simplifying your NPCs are something we've talked about in other shows, and I highly recommend we go back to it. And we definitely will talk about breathing life and NPCs more, more than this. But all you need then is to have each of your NPCs know their motivation mm-hmm. and what they're doing at that moment in time about it. That's it. Your, your big bad guy or your protagonist uh, or antagonist who's in it doesn't need to have this giant, you know vision with with doesn't ridiculous be, things doesn't have to be an end of the world plot no he, he literally could just be a turd to the king because they were friends a long time ago and he wronged him by stealing his girlfriend there's mm-hmm. his motivation he just hates him for that reason he's the king and this other guy is not he has his girlfriend he doesn't have it and he's angry about it i have a crown and you're and you don't so <laughs> exactly. you will listen to every edict i have to say exactly and all he wants to do is kick that crown off his head once he doesn't even want the crown mm. he just wants to kick it off his head and look at that girl and say this is what you missed for 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 me the 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 the, the, the big uh example between um uh scaling of antagonists mm-hmm. has been the pokemon games Oh yeah, I've been playing Pokemon with my buddy Corey on uh, Tuesday nights uh, over over Discord. It's been mm-hmm. it's been great fun. Um, we're just going. We started off with Pokemon uh, Pokemon Red, the the very first edition, 
and their uh, Team Rocket, uh, the bad guys, are basically just um, trying to collect Pokemon and become vaguely powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, That's it. They, they don't really have a huge, like, I mean, they're, they're kind of bad guys. They break into some places. They steal some things. Sure. They, they terrorize some locals here and there by, like, taking over some things. But ultimately, though, like, if left to their own devices, they'd be as bad as, like, an evil corporation. You know, like, At yeah, best. we, we, we kind of hate those guys. They've got unscrupulous business practices, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. Whereas, like, you get into, like, later games and they're like, I am attempting to summon a Pokemon from the dark depths of an alternate dimension so that I can use him to destroy the concept of hope. Wow. Edgelord much? First off, calm down. (laughs) Second off, why? Terry, Terry, I've known you for a few years. It's a bit much for you. (laughs) You know, but but I'm just saying, it's like, you don't... You know, look back to the first Pokemon game where it's like, wow, these guys are kind of unethical and jerks. Yeah. They're the bad guys. like, the, <laughs> yeah. And that was more than enough of a driving force. Like, when Team Rocket showed up, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to kick their butts. Yeah. You know, and I realized it was a, it was, it was meant for children. But, like, even, like, I'm 41 years old, and I just had a blast playing that game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's the greatest plot in the world, but what I am saying is it was an engaging plot. And, and keeping that sense of scale, and as long as you deliver the 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 plot in a concise and engaging way you know you don't you don't need all the bells and whistles you can just have unethical business dudes with angry pokemon yeah yeah <laughs> again it's all about the call getting mm-hmm. into it and seeing where it goes yeah all right we got another question here yeah uh so Knox in the box is asking uh how do we feel about scripted storytelling beats and monologues are they an awkwardly forced insertion from an otherwise quote-unquote improved game that should be used sparingly? Or do you feel like they act like a proper cutscene tool needed to pull the players out of the sandbox shenanigans and back into the business of a more serious story? So I'm going to say, if you're talking about the difference between sandbox shenanigans and a more serious story, you're doing it wrong. I think there's. I think you've got a disconnect then. If your players are shan- sandbox shenaniganing, that's where your story is. Mm-hmm. Just turn it. Just, yeah. just, just lean into it. That's it. Um, it's, it's hard to to note the difference, and it's sometimes really hard because your brain is so set on this is where I want the story to go, and you see a vision of what that's supposed to be, and you have to literally break that apart and say what are the components of that vision. Yeah. Yeah, And then the last thing you have to keep in mind is this is a group storytelling time. If your players literally want to go off and raise ducks and they're really having a good time with them ducks, lean into the ducks, make it an adventure to get better ducks, you know, or, or the ducks get caught, you know, by something and just take your plot and shift it. Yeah. Make it go in that direction. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Dungeons and ducks. Exactly. It's totally a thing. Now ducks are going to be a thing. Jeez, you know, how many animals do I bring into this darn place? Uh, I mean, I've I've always felt um, scripted storytelling beats and monologues are... Uh, I, I like them, um, but but I absolutely understand where the root of your question is, and I understand where the difficulties in using them comes in. Um, so I... First off, I I like um, not so much scripted storytelling beats because I feel like that takes the agency away from your players Mm -hmm. um, a bit. But I don't mind monologues so much. No. Because sometimes you're – especially your villain, your antagonist, um, or really – I mean just about anyone, but typically it's your antagonist Mm -hmm. – needs to get some plot exposition out. Yep. and monologuing is actually a great way to do that because they can they can not only gloat, which makes them seem you know uh, braggadocious, and and allows them to kind of um, twist the knife on the tension between them and the protagonists. Yes. Um, but also it allows you as a storyteller to get some really good plot exposition out, mm-hmm. and so. It may seem cheesy, and, and I, I would say you got to be careful about how you execute it, mm-hmm. um, because you you tend to run into like the the, the Bond villain thing of you know, ha, 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 ha. now that you are captured, I will reveal all of my plan to you. Well, you I, don't want to do that necessarily, yeah. But a little bit of 
Aha, you're already too late to stop me from doing this thing. Soon true power will be mine. Oh, okay, so he was collecting all of the MacGuffins so he could get true power. That's a tidbit of information that we needed, you know, or or whatever. Or, you know, I've already delivered the MacGuffin to my master. Oh, he has a master. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can drop little things in there like that with monologues. Now, the problem I usually run into with monologues is the villain steps up and says, ha, 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 you have finally made it into, and the rogue goes, I shoot an arrow at him while he's talking. Mm Because we've all seen the Incredibles, Mm -hmm. and we all know you punch them when they monologue. Yeah, their mouth is open. That's a target. (sighs) And I hate the Incredibles for giving us that, because I really want to be able to monologue. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and I think I think if you set that expectation early with your players, mm-hmm. that that's what you'd really like to do, sometimes you'll get away with it. And you yeah. do. Yeah. The other thing is, is I, I, I found this to be effortlessly, 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 effortlessly. I can't say it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, is that you weight the size and scope of the monologue to the awe that your villain inspires prior to them opening their mouth. Mm-hmm. There is a reason why Thanos can literally sit on his duff with no armor on and stare at the heroes as they are 12 feet away from him and have a full conversation because they don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. And they're terrified at the thought of it because he's already instilled that fear. Yeah. He vaporized yeah. half of everything. Matt Colville um, actually had a really great uh, discussion on one of his one of his YouTube videos about uh, how to introduce a, a villain like that. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like uh, the, the, the example he used was in his campaign. He had a bunch of people kind of sitting around the tavern doing the whole, okay, we're going to go on our first adventure scene. And they don't even know who this villain is. Right. right. I've never met him. He's not to their knowledge, involved in anything that they're doing right now, mm-hmm. walks in and basically just smites somebody. Mm-hmm. And, like, even the town guard was like, we can't do anything about this guy. Right. And um, he basically monologued for a little bit. It was very clear from how the story played out that, like, these little level one adventurers were not going to do anything to him, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he just walked off. Mm-hmm. But they knew his name. Mm-hmm. And they knew, you know, like he didn't know theirs. Mm-mm. He didn't care. Mm-mm. They're below his. They're below his notice. Yeah, he was talking to somebody else. Even if they did talk a little crap to him, he would probably just looked at him and was like, "You're cute," mm-hmm. and walked off. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's it's all about establishing the the difference in power level. Yep, and making it so that your players don't feel like they can just take a pot shot and solve the problem. Likewise. Having your characters have a level of respect. That's the other way of doing it, yes. Is the opposite, where you've got like a bandit, a bunch of bandits who walk into an inn and they're being all rowdy while your heroes are in the corner silently watching them from a glaring angle of like, who the hell are these hooligans? Uh-huh. And like the innkeepers kind of shine down and like looking at you guys and then the, finally they turn and they go, hey, who are you? What are you doing in our seats? And they come over like all big thugs or whatever. You know, it's the whole concept of like pulling a gun on Superman. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. What do you, that's a right. Goes to, you know, shoot him in the chest and literally the round just disintegrates against him. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Were you saying something? (laughs) Like, and at that point, it's the turn. It's it's that moment that your players feel great. And that's where sometimes scripted scenes like that to improve the morale or improve or to show off where they're at mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. It doesn't mean that it cannot be part of plot and it can definitely expose things. You could you could literally have these random thugs have something random on them or obviously working for somebody bigger. Sure, sure, you sure. You know, kind of a thing. And that's where I'm thinking that even if you're doing a, a improv style game. Always keep a line about where you're going. What's the point of this improv? Yeah. Improv yeah. is great. And and you can definitely improv and roll through most situations. But there's no reason why you can't always keep a sticky note of, 
I am in act one or whatever, yeah. and I've moved through these phases and I am on this section and these are my options for the hooks. What am I doing to lean into one of those on this event? Yeah. And what, you could what can I throw moving. into the improv to get them to yes and into my into my plot? That exactly. That is the big thing. That yeah. is what we're talking about with narrative flow. You can literally have nothing written mm-hmm. and just keep generating things as long as you remember what you've done and you've got those as your narrative notes, you can improv 100% from beginning to end. Yep, yep, yep. There's nothing that says you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And your players will feel amazed that you had this all planned out, and it felt like an adventure. Yeah. And and that's, that's the neat part about writing in a narrative way, is that it will always feel like an adventure as long as you hit those points, those hooks, those changes. That's where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. What do, we, what do we got from Knox here? He says, I don't know. There's a video where this guy tries to shoot Superman and the bullets just bounce off. So he throws his gun at Superman and then Superman ducks out of the way. Hmm. I think he gets punched twice in the arm for flinching. Probably. Yes. Probably. I think that's a really good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that always gets me is this when... Uh, uh, when your hero is getting shot at by a million bullets and they're all being deflected off of him and they just realize that those bullets are going other places. <laughs> <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> so, uh... I, yeah. I, was, I was pretty happy, actually, about my, my last game. I got to monologue a little bit with my villain. You did, you did. I think I think that went well. Actually, you've gotten it twice now. The dragon was a monologue. Well, okay, so the dragon wasn't... The dragon wasn't so much of a monologue. The dragon was a scene the monologue. The dragon priest was a monologue. Mm-mm. The dragon scene was a monologue. Uh, yeah. The ish. whole scene, the whole moment was a scripted moment that you presented to us. Mm-hmm. But it was done beautifully. It was weighted properly. There was a weight of why it was there. Mm-hmm. It presented a narrative moment, and then you hooked in part of the story. Mm-hmm. You let the player kind of present to you what was going on, and you were like, aha, okay. Let's go ahead and have you kill that dragon priest, because he's a pointless guy. <laughs> he lets you in here, you can go have his job. But, and that right there was narratively scripted and beautifully executed. Mm-hmm. There was n- there was no feel, that, like, we were all concerned. There was a tension in the room. The weight was already been laid down. Yep, 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 yep. We knew what we were getting into. And that's where I thought that was beautiful. Likewise, with Titus, you did a great job of the build up to that point mm-hmm. where literally we knew this was the head of the necromancers. We were scared about what we were stepping into and how dangerous that situation was gonna be. And and how many of you how many of you pooped just a little bit when two Minotaur skeletons stepped out? Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. And that was that was where I was so happy. I got the, I got the I got to monologue because yeah. he was like uh, he was like oh yes uh, uh, Minotaurum Cyrodiilus yep. or you know the the, the common Cyrodiilic Minotaur. Not so not so easy to find around here. These parts they were hunted nearly to extinction in the late Second Era. Yeah. But finding the bones of them, not so bad. Terribly common. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I felt I felt that that was a wonderful way of doing it, and mm-hmm. and and doing the Monty, what's behind door number two, you yep. know, kind of moment. So. Yep. Ah, oh, yeah. Good so stuff. yeah, you you can you can monologue, but you just like I said, you got to be careful about it, and yep. uh, uh, do do it with impunity too. Uh, Overwatch mentions uh, holograms, illusions, astral projections, PA systems. Yeah. Um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to monologue from the safety of another room. Yeah. There's also nothing that says that your, your bad guy can't take a hit. Yep. Yep. I mean, everybody has the same rules. So look, he could literally just grab a dude and pull him in front of him. Oh, that guy's dead. That was rude. Mm-hmm. I liked that guy. Mm-hmm. Now I have to pay his wife's pension. Mm-hmm. So enjoy the the topic from this week our next week's topic is our hundredth episode hundredth episode guys we're in triple digits now. so we're going to be talking about what it's been like to live a year in a box and what we learned from tabletop uh rpg in the digital world yep All right. so so you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore underscore conclave uh listen to us live every wednesday night at 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and join us on our discord you can find that link up on storytellerconclave.com our website as well as on our twitter feed we usually tweet it out uh, once a week Thank you very much to our Patreon members, especially our named members, Knox the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Spark Emotion, Veteran, and Hulavu. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our, uh, 
Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. Our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Our Foot Only, Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. And a big shout out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share mm-hmm. with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you all. Stay safe. Good, Good night. night.